All right, you can get your worship guides out and get ready to, uh, to uh, get back into our series. Um, we're continuing what is an unusual series uh, to do during the Christmas holidays, and basically the genesis of this uh, series uh, was kind of in my, my, my quiet time, as I like to say. And I got kind of a merger of two subjects. One is talking about money at Christmas, and that's how Money Tree came. And uh, my daddy used to say, money doesn't grow on trees, because he was trying to teach me something. He was trying to instruct me. He was, he was giving me these kind of like these isms, you know, to, to live later. And, and it's because I always wanted the like immediate gratification, and he was trying to like deal with the consumption mentality that I had. And, and so, uh, you know, I, you, he used to say things like, do you want an ice cream now or a bike later? And I'd always say, ice cream, you know, and... I wanted the short term, and, and I wasn't really going for the long term. And, and anyway, out of that kind of came like three thoughts for this series. The first one is, I want you to walk away from this series, series realizing how blessed you already are. I don't think sometimes we realize how blessed we already are. I don't think we're focusing and enjoying what we already have. Uh, last week, I was out with a brother in this church that I love very much, and we took him out to dinner just to kind of thank him. And uh, we were just, just sitting, around, sitting around the table, and he's just like, you're so blessed. And I looked around, and just, yeah, I'm blessed because I was rich in relationship. I had my whole family there sitting with me, and, and, I, and, and it was, I was, I, I'm blessed. I'm, sometimes we're not realizing how blessed we are. The second thing, a purpose of the series was uh, kind of to help you, uh, prevent you from, from making some stupid, you know, frivolous, foolish financial decisions. Because there's a tendency during this season to kind of have the, uh, the uh, choir, you know, the the Desire to acquire gone haywire. That's, that's our tendency right now. Gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. You gotta have it. We get up, you know, and it's just like Amazon.com, baby. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you felt the Holy Ghost. Some of you felt, I don't know, satanic influence. But, and so we just, we just, we got a black belt in MasterCard. You know, Zorro, Zorro, swipe, swipe, swipe. And we don't even think twice about it. It's just it's click, you know, and, and what's that button? You can literally, it's just automatic. You just hit it, right? The prime button or whatever that is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There, yeah, there you go, yeah. You all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, and so it can go crazy, and so I wanted to make sure that you kind of had a cause for a pause with your cash. Be careful. And then the third reason is sometimes we don't know what to do with the resources we have, and whatever we're doing, it's not making a difference, you know? And so I wanted to give you opportunities. I think it's so healthy, uh, and I'm so proud of our church because we have ways for you to be generous, and so we've had different things like the, the giving tree in the, in, the, in the lobby. This is the last day for that today. You know, we've had ways to sponsor kids in other parts of the world. Well, well we're here just focusing on our world. We're thinking about things that are happening. In other, you can have a guilt-free conscience. You can go through the grocery line and somebody asks you, would you like to give to this, this, and this? And you don't have to feel guilty about that because you know there's already an intentional generosity taking place within your life and lifestyle. That's a great reason to be a part of this church. Can I have an amen? So that's kind of the heart of the series. But let me get to today's message. Everybody say today's message. Okay, it's a super weird title, and I'll try to make it make sense in a little bit, but I'm going to call this Scotch Guard, okay? Scotch Guard, and hopefully this will pop later on. But basically, um, all of us, if we don't protect ourselves, in particular our hearts, there are things that can corrupt you. There are definitely a bunch of things that can corrupt you. And I think that we have two tendencies, kind of two polarities when it comes to our resources. Uh, when it comes to uh, the, the, the resources we receive during this particular time of our lives, uh, we can either be very fearful 
we have this tendency to be, to kind of have this scarcity mentality, or the other side of the equation is we can be uh, preoccupied with getting more and more and more and more. Is everybody with me? Those are kind of the two tendencies, and there's these two extremes with that. Now, for me, uh, let me try to paint this with a couple of illustrations. I can remember years ago, uh, on one extreme, I can remember we were in a kind of a, a local recession. Some of you guys, we've had different ones at different times. I remember way back in the 80s, there was a gas crisis. And then later on, there was, an, you know, there was a market crash. And then later on, anyway, we've had different seasons. This particular season, my kids were all at home, and we were having a recession. And um, the, uh, the, the environment like, that we were in was a little bit fearful for people. And, and I remember calling the family together and I have all the kids at the kitchen table and we were having a meal and we were breaking bread and, and I looked around the table at each one of the kids. I said, kids, we're in a recession. Things are a little tough right now. And I looked around eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball and I said, you know what? As a result of this re- recession, I'm going to have to let one of you go. <laughs> we got to make some cuts. We got to make some cuts. <laughs> See, scarcity is a common response to fear in finances. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? That's one of the extremes. In fact, this is not in your notes, but it's a bonus for those of you taking notes. Proverbs 11.24, in the message, it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So in other words, your world is affected by your perspective. Your world is affected by your outlook on it. I'm fearful, I'm fearful, I'm fearful. It's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Your generous is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the other side of that, Proverbs 6.11, not in your notes, it says, and poverty will come on a person like a thief, and scarcity is like an armed man. So before, it could come on you like so suddenly and so kind of unpredictably. So that's one side, is this fearful side. On the other side, there's this, you know, consumption. I gotta have more, I gotta have more, I gotta have more. And I I just didn't have the guts to share with you one of my weaknesses. I'll talk about it, but I'm not going to show you. But one of the extremes that I have, it's kind of like a girl. I'm just going to say it like that. I don't know how to say it is. I love shoes. I love shoes. Lots of shoes. I was going to take a picture of all of my shoes but I knew that it wouldn't represent all of my shoes because I have shoes in one room and then I have shoes in another room and then I have shoes in the garage and then I have shoes in my car and then I have shoes in the attic and if I put them all together, you guys wouldn't come to church here anymore. (laughs) It's a problem. And it's a problem because when I get up in the morning and I'm looking at all these shoes that I had to have and that I want to have more of, I can't decide which pair to wear. That's where I'm like a girl, okay? And I'm just admitting that it's a problem, all right? So don't judge me. I got it out. This is public confession. I feel so awful, actually. <laughs> Andy Rooney, you know, ever heard of him? Andy Rooney, he used to say this. He said, having enough is nowhere as much fun as I thought it was going to be when I didn't have any. He said this. He said, when I first started working, I used to dream of a day I would earn the salary I'm now starving on. It's a perspective. These extremes. I gotta have this, gotta have this, gotta have this. And, and, and then you have it and all you... You know, every achievement, every precipice, every new mountaintop or whatever, boom, we're we're not even enjoying that new view. We're already looking to how far we still have to go, how many more things we still need to have. And so 
in this model, within this message, is if you don't protect yourself, things can ruin you. They can, your consumption can consume you in the process. And so this is a tension I think we're going to have to manage all the days of our life. I think, and, and the tension is managed internally and externally. And so first, I'm going to spend a little bit on the internal real quick, and that is I think it's a heart issue at the end of the day. If there's a part of this message, if there's a punch to this message, it's going to hit you in the heart at some point in time during this message. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Okay? Just let me say that to you. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, uh, the Tree of Life Bible, it's a cool version. It says, above all else, guard your affections, it says, for they influence everything in life. Your loves affect everything that you have in this life. Everything you're preoccupied with. And this is where the Scotch Guard comes in. You, hopefully you know what that is. But if you don't put a protective sealant around your heart, I wish there was a way that we could spray protective sealant around our heart every day. But we can't spray it. We have to pray it. Can I have an amen? You have to get up every single day, in a sense, and drop to your knees and begin, like the Bible says, give thanks. You know, pray without ceasing in everything the Bible says, give thanks. That means everything means in the Greek, everything. Right? So you got to get up every day and you need to thank God for what you already have. You need to thank him in advance for how he's going to take care of you. If he takes care of the grass, if he takes care of the birds of the air, then by golly, he's going to, I never say that word, but I just, it worked. By golly, by golly, he's going to take care of you. Created in his image and in his likeness. Can I have an amen, right? And so we need to pray those things over us because from our heart, we have these internal appetites. And they can run crazy wild and rampant in our life. And so an appetite, you know what an appetite is. An appetite, in a nutshell, is, is, is it's never fully or finally satisfied. Appetites are part of your life. You know, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Guys, if you have a day off... And, and, and you just kind of stop from the running full throttle. Or ladies, not as much you guys. You guys have other things you run to. But guys, when we have a day off, we run to the refrigerator. Over and over and over again. If you counted how many times you went to the refrigerator on your day off, it would be mind-boggling. Now, I, I'm a guy who, who loves to eat. I love to, uh, I love to make sandwiches. I make the baddest sandwiches on the planet. Everybody wants my sandwiches. Just ask my family. If I make a sandwich, Dad, you know, can I have a bite? I'm like, no, I will make you a sandwich, but you cannot have a bite of my sandwich. I'll make you a whole sandwich. I will buy you a freaking loaf of bread and make 20 sandwiches, but you're not going to have a, They always want to have a bite of my sandwich. But I will eat this most incredible sandwich, and I take the time, and it's got all kinds of TLC over it. It's got a Holy Ghost mayonnaise on it. It's amazing. And when I'm done eating that sandwich, it won't be 30 minutes later. I'm already back in the refrigerator again just going, man, I'm getting hungry. And how is that possible? And then you add to it, like my son, he goes to the refrigerator, he comes over to our house, it gets worse, this consumption, this appetite, it gets even worse because it, it not only has to be often, it has to be instant. So he opens the refrigerator, which, by the way, is full of groceries, and any other part of the world would be seen as excess. And he opens up and says, Mom, there's nothing to eat in here. <laughs> Translation, it won't move instantly from here to my mouth and be satisfying. <laughs> right? And so that same appetite that's there in the physical is also in the financial. 
I submit to you the same insatiable appetite that is never fully and finally satisfied is the same way in our finances. And this is what I've learned about this, about myself. I need counseling. (laughs) And I think I can make an appointment for many of you, too. If you're honest, you need counseling. And so we need not only a Pray, spray, a sealant, a protectant around, a, a scotch guard around our heart. But we also need some resource rules, some rules for our resources, some boundaries, some guardrails for our resources that kind of help us with, there's two things that happen with your money, two things that control where your money goes. One, self-control, two, priorities. That's what happens with your money. It's a result, where it goes is a result of self-control and priorities. But what influences self-control and priorities is this scotch guard around your heart, but also certain resource rules. Is everybody with me so far? And so we need those in our life. And these resource rules, they will help you. And eventually, if you implement them, they will become a matter of conscience. So that when you face a certain allurement, temptation, uh, you know, opportunity, your conscience will, beep, beep, it will light up. It, it, it's like it's the Holy Ghost in cooperation with what you have internalized and agreed upon and predetermined are the things that God has for us or wants us to do. These rules support the convictions of your heart. Is everybody with me? They put legs to the things that you say you believe. And most people don't have uh, kind of these, these rules uh, for our resources. In fact, many people make mistakes because of that. In fact, some of the greatest regrets in your life are a result of not having pre-established, predetermined certain boundaries uh, for your relationships and for your finances. It's, that's why. If you think of your greatest regrets in your life, if you want to have a sad service, Pastor Derek, have everybody think about that. Okay, so if you, want, if you thought about the greatest regrets in your life, I promise you, most occasions, it's connected to the simple fact that you didn't have certain rules for engagement relationally or rules for, re, uh, for resources financially. That's why. It's interesting that that's the case. And, and, and so I can't tell you what those are if you're not a Christian, but if you are a Christian, you already drank the Kool-Aid and said yes to God. And you didn't just say yes to God as Savior. You said yes to him as Lord, which means he, Jesus, takes the wheel and you get away from it. It's getting quiet in this Catholic church right now. Okay. In other words, most people struggle or have problems because they gave God the Heisman. Listen, they said, nope, 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 you can't touch this. In relationship, to, listen to this, this will wake up a lot of guys in this room and in Framingham, all these guys are going to start waking up. It happens in relationship to sex. What did you say? Did you say sex in church? Yes. The reason we have our greatest regrets is because we didn't have boundaries with sex or because we didn't have boundaries with money. That's why. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? is, And the word out on the street is that God is against sex and all the church wants is your money. You see a problem? Isn't it interesting? We better not talk about those things in church. Yet those are the number one things that cause problems for people. Oh my gosh. And by the way, I'm going to talk about sex in February the whole month. And it's either going to be packed here or empty. (laughs) We'll see, but I'm going for it. (laughs) 
Just telling you. Just telling you. I think I'm going to call it sex expectations. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what I call it. I will have a creative name, I promise. I remember when I preached the singles one time, I called it Lord of the Ringless, you know, because I was like, I was watching Lord of the Rings, and anyway, culture affects me, it's a disease. <sighs> Get into your message. So, so God, God, God doesn't want money to grow on you. He wants it to go through you. That's what he's trying to do. He doesn't, that's the whole idea for this series is, is it something that's attaching itself to you, clinging on to you, controlling you, manipulating you, and ultimately becoming even more than that? And we'll talk about that. So I'm not going to talk today about how to get out of debt and, and how to avoid bankruptcy and how to avoid certain pitfalls. That would be a great message, and that's super practical. In fact, I believe there are people in this room that could be, list some of you, completely out of debt. You might have no, no consumer debt, maybe even no financial debt. You might even have a lot of money in the bank, but you can still be in a ditch spiritually. You can still be, you can still have things wrong. You don't have that protective ceiling around your heart. You've not scotch guarded your heart, as it were. And Jesus is amazing. He always goes to the heart of the matter when he's dealing with the subject of money. The number one, number one word used in the Bible is God, and the number two word used in the money in, in the Bible is give, interestingly enough, because God knows there's a connection between those two things, your money and your heart. And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, this is what it says. It says, no one, that would be everyone then. <laughs> no one means everyone. That's weird, but anyway, it makes sense. No one can serve two masters, which I think when he was saying this in this, in this story, I think people were going, wait a minute, I don't, have, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have two masters. I don't have any masters. In fact, when he started talking about the word masters, they had a different understanding than you and I. When we think about master, we think boss. We think like cake boss or, you know what I mean, or something like that. It's kind of gotten nice out there, the word boss, you know, or, or it's been diminished. But that's not the word. In the original language, the word for master in the Greek, it means, it means ownership or possession. In fact, this is the definition kind of a master. It's one who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. So God, Jesus comes to us and says, no one, everyone, you can't serve. You can't serve two masters. You can only have, in essence, one master. He says, either, look at what he says, either, there's a choice here, you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Two points, same contrast. You cannot serve both God and what? God and what? Money. Now, what's interesting here is he doesn't say you can't serve, I thought he was going to say God and Satan. That would be the more obvious, God and Satan. He doesn't say that. He says God and money. Because money is a God or a master for most people, not Satan. God, Satan uses it. But the, but the idol or the God that we put above our one true God is often money. It's fascinating that he does it that way. And the reason that he does it like that is, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, I think this is pretty amazing. It's because God's after something. He realizes you can only have one master. And number two, write this down. I meant to do this. The primary issue isn't about money, but it's about what's your master. 
See, we think God's not after your money. He doesn't need your money. He holds a cattle on a thousand hills. And by the way, the church doesn't need your money. That's not what I'm here trying to do. This whole subject is not about you giving. In fact, we're not taking some special offering at the end of this. We don't ever really take an offering. Once in a blue moon, I think like twice a year maybe. Okay? So the reason is because I want people to give as an act of worship, not as a business transaction or some kind of guilt-giving tip God after the fact because somebody put pressure on me. Can I have an amen out there? And so this is not what that's about. And this is not what it's about for Jesus when he talks about money a lot. What it's about is you can't have two masters. You can only have one. And the question is, which one is your master? Do do you uh, have money or does money have you? That's what he wants to know. And so the primary issue is about what has mastery. In other words, the, the chief competitor for the condition of your heart is money and how it's used. It is. Jesus said it, not PD. Jesus said this. And so without some protective seal, without some resource rules for your life, you will either end up with this unbridled fear where you hoard everything to yourself or this unbridled consumption. I got to have more. I got to have more. I got to have more. And, and, and it becomes a problem. You got to have these rules, these boundaries, these guardrails for your life, or are you going to go to one of two extremes? Either one, whether you got to have more, it's got you at the throne, or you got to hoard it all, t- uh, or you got to uh, uh, get more or hoard more, either one, fear or consumption, it still has you as, and, and money as the master. And the root cause of all of that is, is, is something you don't see very easily. It's something that doesn't show up in the mirror of your life. The root cause of both of those extremes is greed. Greed. I was going to put a picture of the Grinch up, but I, I didn't have one. Andy Stanley has a great uh, definition. I stole this from him, but Andy Stanley says, Greed, it's the assumption that all is for my consumption. If it was placed in my hands, if the paycheck's in my hands, it was, it was for me. If it was a 401k, well, that's for me. If it's an inheritance, well, that's for me. If I won the lottery, well, obviously God did that for me. It's for me. And some of you are like, yeah, right. No, wrong. No, it's not. See, everything everything belongs to God. Everything you have, ultimately, he's the source of it. When you you drank the Kool-Aid, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You came or should have come or need to come to the revelation and realization it all belongs to God. And so he's decided to let you use it and have it. <laughs> and so it's the assumption that it's for my consumption that's faulty. And so when you have that, that assumption, then even if you give, uh, even if you do something out of compassion, you're basically saying, uh, because it's designed for me, I'm doing something compassionate for somebody else. Hey, God, please notice me. I'm going to pull from my wallet real slow so you see what I'm doing Remember, we used to pass the bucket years ago, and, you know, sometimes it would stop for a long time at certain people. Probably greed behind that. I'm going to write this check out real slow so everybody can see what I'm doing right now. (laughs) Drop the bucket, buddy. Let it go. But... But sometimes the consume now, it's about spending. Consume later, that's about hoarding. Two extremes, either one, it's about, it's about me, and it has money as the master of our soul. And so when we act like that, behave like that, we're living like there's no God. 
We're living like there's not more to this life than this life. See, Solomon, the richest man and wisest man in the world, he said, he had this phrase he'd use all the time, under the sun, he'd say that, and then he makes these, these, these platitudes and these huge ideas that he would unpack. But when he was trying to make these contrasts, he'd say, under the sun, you know, uh, since life is meaningless, since it's appointed unto everybody to die, um, why don't you just, if you believe that, eat, drink, and be merry? In other words, if you just think when you die, you're just going to be six, foot, six feet underground when you die, enjoy life, baby. Have a ball. Yes, it's all for your consumption. But if there's something inside you that believes there's more to this life than this life, then there should be, I, I, it's, I, I dare you not to continue to live with that consumption mentality. Because, because there is more to this life. That's a value we have at Connect. It's, we call it eternity. There's more to this life than this life. And if you believe there's more to this life than this life, then you can't just eat, drink, and be merry, you know, and who cares? And I don't have to leave a legacy, and I don't have to worry about what my kids think when I die because I've died. No, I believe there's more to this life than this life, and how I live this life is an investment in the life to come in Jesus' name. Can I have an Amen. And I dare not be taken by consumption and, and just the acquisition of more. And so something, if we don't listen to that check of our spirit because the Holy Spirit's in us, then something happens to all of us at eventually one point in time or another. Basically what happens is we, we come to this place that we face financial trials, a problem of some sort. And it might not be because you run out of money uh, because you haven't saved it. It might be because you've run out of health. And now you've got to use your wealth to take care of your health at the latter part of your life. And you went this whole life living that way, thinking it was okay, and thinking I beat the system, and thinking I didn't need to do it God's way. And then at the end, bam, it happens all the time. Or along the way, I face a trial, I lose my job, I face a, a difficulty, a hardship, and I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. And it's in those situations when that happens, you know what we do? We pray. And some of us, we know we're kind of far away from God, and we know we're kind of distant, and, 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 and we weren't bringing him into the equation before. We kind of put him in the back room. Hey, God, just stay over there. I'm good with this part of my life. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But now, hey, God, yo, it's Derek. Derek. D-E-R. Your son. You know what I mean? And we're trying to reintroduce ourselves and reacquaint ourselves. And in those moments, what are we doing? This is, happens all the time. We're inviting God back into our finances. <sighs> it's amazing how often that happens. We're, we're saying underneath that invitation and that prayer and that crisis, we're saying, I think we're saying, maybe I have the wrong master. Maybe I, maybe I have the wrong if that happens, if you like to invite God into your finances, if you go to that situation uh, often, you find yourself in that particular situation, here's a question. If you think you would reach out to God if there was a problem, why not involve him in the first place before it ever happens? And so the question now is, if that's you, you connect with that, then what do we do? I would say this. I'd say you have to reprioritize your life. You have to implement certain resource rules into your life. You have to kind of uh, 
kind of flip things upside down. So if you've allowed a different master into your life, this is what it looks like for you. And most people, and I would submit to you, most Christians are living like this. Live, it's about me. You know, it's my, the assumption is for my consumption. Uh, save, maybe there's, maybe, although most Americans are spending 136% of their income. Save, maybe there's a business plan at work or there's some kind of 401k thing. And lastly, you know, if I feel a certain compassion, I might give. If there's a tsunami or there's a hurricane or perhaps I, heard, I saw a really great commercial online at Christmas time, late one night, maybe I'll give and I'll tell a bunch of people I did it. That's my order. I would just say this to you if that's kind of how you're living. Me, kind of me first, me second, everybody else kind of last, I would say something strong to you right now. Listen, you are being mastered by money. That's what Jesus is trying to deal with. He's trying to deal with who is your master. You can't have two masters. You can only have one master. And so Jesus comes along, and he basically says, that's not the order. we got to flip this whole thing upside down. And so what he does is he messes the whole thing up and says, whoa, 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 this is the order. Do you like that? Wasn't that pretty cool? I like to say I did that, but I didn't. He says, I want you to give. By the way, when you give, if you look in God's word, the, word, the, 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 the give focus is not on just social needs. Like the best investment with your resources is something that doesn't just give a temporary fix, but an eternal solution. And so we believe as a church in our greatest investment is people, and the best institution to invest in people's eternal solution is the church of Jesus Christ. So listen, the greatest investment you can make is in your local church. That's I believe that as a Christian, just not as a pastor. I believe that as a Christian. So you give. The second thing is you save. Biblically, when you save, most people save for themselves. And I'm not saying that's wrong. This, this, this part of your life should grow. This part, goes, this part goes up, but it goes away. And this part just keeps going up and down, up and down, up and down all the time. But save. You're saving for not just self, but biblically you save for your children and your children's children. It's still about others at the end of the day. Proverbs 13, 22, we lay up wealth for our children's children. So I feel challenged in God's word to live as a higher, kind of a higher order of being where I'm not just thinking about how Stacy and I are going to take care of ourselves when we retire, which I'm not really a big fan of retirement. I'm going to go as long as I can doing what God's called me to do. But, at the, but whenever I can't do it anymore, I hope I've done well enough not only just to help my kids, but to help my kids' kids. That, that, that makes you live life differently now. Does that make sense to everybody out there? This is better preaching than you guys realize. And so, th- this is what happens right now. You get nervous. You get nervous when you talk about money. And the reason you're getting nervous and the reason that's happening a lot of times in your life is because it's a heart issue. And if you can get past and separate from this dude and the mouthpiece from which it comes from and the environment from which it's being communicated, you might actually be able to have a heart surgery right now. But because of the abuse of people like me and the environments that have been for their, for their own purposes and their own vision, you're having a hard time sometimes listening. And I'm begging you to let the voice of God speak to you about who's your master. I'm begging you. So I thought about why, why would a preacher talk about give, save, live? Well, because I taught my own kids that. 
I was thinking about, I did, I did this as a Christian, not just as, as, as a pastor, because I would, we would raise our kids when we go on vacation. We'd say, okay, we're going to give you a certain amount of money. And instead of just paying for everything as we go, we'd give them a certain amount of money in the front end so they'd have to learn how to steward that money for the whole vacation. If they spend it all in one day, sorry. But we taught them to steward their money. We taught them from very early on, for every dollar they get, 10 cents goes to the Lord. We taught them to tithe so that it's not harder later for them when they had more to give proportionately to. God's not looking for amounts. He's looking for percentage. For, not for himself, but for you because it's equal sacrifice and it's equal opportunity and it's equal reward in the process. But why would I teach my kids that? Why would I do that? Because I don't want them to be mastered by money. It was so important to me that when my daughter was dating her now husband, my, my now son, I, I don't differentiate in-laws from, from biological children anymore once they're a part of our family, but I screen them real good before they get in. <laughs> and I interviewed my son-in-law, and one of the top questions on my list was his posture and position towards money, and I fundamentally wanted to know, do you live that? Because if you don't, you can't have my daughter. Because you can't steward that, that responsibility. Because it's telling me that you're mastered by money. It's not telling me that God is your master. And if he doesn't live this way, then I knew they would be riddled with difficulty. Life's hard enough as it is. They'd be riddled with difficulties. And that flip leads to a, to a dependence on me instead of a dependence on God. And God was trying to teach me, if you let me be your master, then you can put full weight and full dependence on, upon me in all your situations, in all your circumstances. Is everybody tracking with me? So I'm not teaching this because the church needs your money. I'm teaching you this so that, that money is not your master. And I don't care if you believe that or not. I don't. I, I care about you enough to tell you that like that. Amen? You can't serve God in money. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. The Bible says this. It says, do not worry. So, God says, so, Jesus says, in light of all that, don't worry. <laughs> the things you're afraid about, the things that keep you up, people who have money stay up all night thinking about how to protect their money, keep their money, not lose their money. People who don't have money stay up all night thinking about how they're going to get money, pay for things, how they're going to get through the next day. Hey, God says, so if you reprioritize your life to reflect my kingdom, then you don't have to worry. So don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Back then, uh, there was no refrigeration, so it was, it, food was hard to come by that way. Uh, clothes were su super, super expensive. What shall we wear? See, God didn't want them to worry. He said, if your priorities don't become my priorities, then you're going to live your life with closed hands and a closed heart. And I can't protect that, and I won't be able to help you hold on to what you need to hold on to and take care of you the way I need to. And then in verse 32, he says, The pagans, <laughs> for the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. He's basically saying, see, the pagans served gods, plural, small, small g. Gods, in this particular season, were to be served, not to serve. These, the gods, the pagan gods were about, uh, they would manipulate, they would coerce, they would ask for sacrifices, even give your most prized possession, even your own children to them. They were terrible gods. And so their view was like, if you, if you live like that, where you're living where money's your master, you're living like the pagans. 
He's saying, but I'm not like that. My heavenly Father is a personal God who cares and is concerned about your personal needs. And he was introducing something so mind-boggling to them, but they had a trouble believing in their heavenly Father who cared about them. And he goes on to say, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And so I was reading this afresh the other day, and I thought to myself, do I believe that my heavenly Father knows what I need? Do I believe it? And I guess I would flip it. Do you believe that your heavenly Father knows what you need? See, I think a lot of us, we don't believe it. That's why we don't live those priorities. We don't live, give, save, live, because we don't believe he cares. We don't believe he's worried for us. And I think the sooner that you wrap yourself around the belief system of Matthew 6, 31 through 33, that you actually come to a personal place in your life where you believe your father knows what you need. A personal God is concerned about your personal requests. When you come to that place, you'll be able to live a different order, a different set of priorities. And so he says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. He's saying, seek first, rearrange, reorder, reprioritize your life to kingdom values, not to worldly values. See, the world's values are worldly wealth is for my consumption. That's my assumption. But the Bible is telling you, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, if you put me first, my priorities, give to the things that, are, uh, that, that invest in eternity, save not only just for you, but for future generations, then you'll be able to live in that area that's left I will take care. Relax. Relax. The pressure's off. If I take care of the grass, if I take care of the birds, will I not much more take care of you? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. It's all from him. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It's him at the end of the day. And so if you're going to put the kingdom of God first, then ultimately you're going to put others first but then I'll make sure to put your, you first. If you make my agenda your agenda, I'll make your agenda mine. That's what happens. Now, I'm going to conclude with this. I just think that this whole idea of reprioritization, in an ultimate sense, in just kind of a summary, it means it's all about putting God first and me second. And so I ask myself this question, and I'm asking you guys this. How do I put God first? And I'm going to say some stuff that's personal, and it can be misinterpreted, but I'm just, I'm going for it because I checked it out with my leadership a little bit. But I hope this doesn't come across wrong. My heart is pure when I say some of the things I'm going to say. But when I was thinking about this whole thing with financial resources, when I pay my bills, I pay my bills, hopefully, on time, on a regular basis, and never forget to pay them because that would be a bad testimony not to pay your bills, and it would be bad for my family not to pay your bills. And so, but when I'm paying my bills, I do two things. One, I create a budget to ensure that I pay the right amount, uh, and I try to determine that amount in advance for the year so I can set aside a certain amount. That way I have it in the budget. And I take money out of my increase every month, and I put it into those budgeted allocations. And so I know there's a certain amount I should pay for fuel. This is a crazy story, but this just happened to me. And so I had a budgeted amount for fuel with Jamie Oil, which is our local uh, oil company. And so I set that up in 2016. 
So I've been paying the same amount. And, and so every year, is this the right amount I should pay? You know, yep, yep, yep. And so anyway, this, this particular year, for some reason, uh, whenever I get the bills in the mail, I wouldn't open them because I pay online. It's just automatic. Just pay online, automatic. And so I open this particular bill up. I open up, and it says, uh, on the bottom, it says total uh, $4,244.11. I was like, holy shnikes, what did I miss? But what I didn't check right away was it says minus $4,244.11. Apparently, I'd been overpaying since 2016, and they never told me. So I called them up. I said, yo, homie, how's it going? This is Pastor Derek. I'm just wondering, is this right? And they did something. They're freaking out. On the other end, they go, and they start scrambling. They're like, oh, hold on just a second. I don't have to go up. You know, and beep, um, transfer, beep, transfer, beep. Finally, I get to somebody higher up, and they're like, oh, Mr. Fry, yeah, so sorry about this. Um, uh, we, we just think some people like a lot of money in their account, you know, for the year in case there's a problem. Like $4,244. Are you kidding me? Anyway, long story short, I just think this is a blessing for just for certain things. It was just a hidden blessing at Christmas time. But we overpaid, and you know, I said just pay the whole year, keep two thousand in there for the rest of the year, and then just send me the rest. I'm getting twenty four hundred dollars in the mail, everybody, for paying your bills on time. I'm putting on a budget. Now, some of you can look at that differently. I choose to look at that the right way. I probably should have checked, but anyway, I just bills were just going out the door. So I would make those payments automatic. I would pay online, and wherever possible, I would auto pay. I would auto pay, just so it's just automatic. Now, why did I say all that? Why am I doing that? Why am I going over my budget? Because I see giving to God as a much higher responsibility and commitment than even paying my bills. I hope you see that first as a point of contrast. In other words, let me translate this, and I believe this with all my heart. You can think what you want. I would sooner pay my tithes than pay my mortgage or put food on the table. Why? Because He is my master. He is my provider. He is my source. And it's, he's the one that's going to take care of everything ultimately. And so it is higher than a bill. It's the thing I do every single month. It's a certain amount because I'm a percentage giver, so I give 10% of my gross income. It's automatic. It goes out every single month. I'm a recurring giver, and I do it on the first of the month because I don't want to pay anybody else before I've given my tithes to God. And so I'm just saying that. And, and over many years... I've been doing this for 27 years. And it's, it's not a business transaction for me. It's not a bill. It's worship. It's worship. I actually worship when I give. I can't tell you how I feel knowing that I'm doing it. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because I think you need to know that whoever's talking to you about things you should do should be doing it and actually believe it. There's been times where, and this is where it's a little edgy, but there's been times where God has stretched our faith because he doesn't want me to just be faith, faithful he wants me to be faith-filled. And so I'll give more than 10%. So there's been times we've given almost 30%, several, a couple times in our, in our life, we've given 30% of our total income, and God has met our needs. And so I'm just telling you, I had a conversation with God about that years ago, and I've never looked back. And he's always, always, I, know, I don't worry. I don't worry about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, and what I'm going to wear. I do worry about my shoes sometimes. That's, I'm still working that out. I'm still working that out. I don't want you to worry, but you won't have to worry if you have the right master. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for you? I'm just going to ask the campus pastor in Framingham to come with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you know you're struggling with this subject or you have struggled with this subject and God 
is working on your heart and he's speaking to you, would you just, as an outward sign of an inward reality, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Good night. Don't be ashamed. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Maybe you're here today and you know that before you can get things right in your resources, you want to get things right in your relationship with Jesus and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never come to him as Savior. It's hard to, it's hard to follow him and, and make him the master of your life until you've come to him as the Savior of your life. But if you've never done that, that may be why you're here. We're talking about money, but God wants to save your soul. That's, that's amazing. That's the kind of God I serve. He's after a relationship with you that lasts forever. And if you're not confident of that, I want to introduce you to Jesus. And if you know that's you, would you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, courageously just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to come to know him. God bless you, sister. Is there anybody else that says yes? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else that says yes to God? Thank you, sir, for your courage. Is there anybody else that says yes to God? Don't be ashamed. Thank you, sister. He's not ashamed of you because you weren't ashamed of him. God bless you. Church, would you pray this prayer? And those that raise your hand, would you say this prayer from your heart? Say, Jesus, save me. Make me a new person from the inside out. I surrender my life to you. I know you gave your life for me on the cross 2,000 years ago. And you paid for my sins. And that debt that was paid makes me want to give my life back to you. In Jesus' name. The Father, for every person that prayed that prayer, seal it unto the day of redemption. For every person who raised their hand earlier, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to make you the master of their life. Would you put a protective sealant around their heart, a scotch guard around their heart, and would you help them reorder their finances to give, to save, and to live. In Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word.